We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. Welcome to another episode of the Rotowire NBA show. Uh, most of you are probably listening to this on Wednesday, October 21st. You might be watching it on the Rotowire YouTube channel, uh, might be listening to it in our podcast feed or on Dash Radio's NBA channel. I'm Nick Whalen, joined as usual by my assistant NBA editor, Alex Barutha. Alex, we've now had more than a full week since the conclusion of the NBA season. Um, how has your like nightly habits changed when you don't have you know, basketball that you're essentially obligated by your job to be watching. Not that you wouldn't anyway, but what have you been doing the past week? Oh man, mostly just video games. Honestly. Um, I, I have a crippling addiction to video games and no, lack of NBA just fuels that even more. Um, <laughs> NBA was cutting into your video game time. Uh, yeah. That's basically how it goes. Uh, how about you? Uh, not video games. Uh, my, my roommate's a big gamer. Uh, he's He's been kind of counting down the days for the PS5 to arrive. So okay. I think I'm going to be kind of like grifting off of him uh, to give that a try. But no, I I mean, I, we've talked about this on the pod before. Like I, I'm still working with an Xbox 360. So like every now and then, based on whatever season it is, I'll, I'll kind of get like a two or three week itch uh, to start like an NCAA football dynasty or an NBA 2K dynasty. But I, I've kind of found that I lose interest fairly quickly. So um, I've actually I've done the unthinkable and actually watched a lot of baseball 
in the last week. There's been a lot of football wow. on, so that's been nice. But I will say, as much as I love the NBA, as much as you love the NBA, and we did get a you know like a four month break without games essentially, but there is always a period after the season where I'm I'm like a little bit relieved. And normally this comes midsummer, so it's kind of perfect. You know, you can you can go away for a week, do stuff on the weekends, not really worry about it. But there is always a period where I'm a little bit relieved that you know you can come home from work, or in this case you know, walk out of my bedroom from work and just kind of do whatever you want and not, not have a, a TNT doubleheader that, that you feel like you have to be tuned into. Right. Yeah. That, that, that feeling lasts for like a month usually for me. Yeah. And then I'm like, when is summer league again? And <laughs> I'm back to like wanting, you know, some right. random no name, the 14th guy on a summer league roster. I'm like, is he actually good? Yeah. Well, and then, you know, you and I went to summer league last year and I, w- I would say you lasted a little longer than I did. Like by halftime of the first game we watched, I was, I was pretty much ready to head back to, <laughs> you know, to the hotel or back to the pool. Like, I think we watched, was it Nick's, I think it was Nick's Grizzlies Nick. with no John Morant uh, and Mitchell Robinson uh, playing like 10 minutes and is the night. That was just about it. Well, it's tough when you're in Vegas because you start seeing like a lot of Kevin Knox and you're like, I could be at the pool right now. <laughs> Speaking of Kevin Knox, did you see that Obi Toppin report today? No. So, I, I mean, report is generous. I don't I don't know where this okay. came from. But uh, apparently in an interview, Toppin said that he's, you know, somebody, he, somebody asked him, like, how he's just been preparing for the draft during this kind of weird, uh, uncertain period. He said he's been playing a lot of pickup basketball and picking the brain of NBA players like Kevin Knox. Oh, God. Like, I, I I sent that to James James Anderson and he right away was like somebody else's agent must have put this out like to try to leak and then get some bad pub for Toppin. Apparently, yeah, because that's that's about the last name you would want. It'd be, it would be like I you know I picked the brain of Alexis Aginsa and <laughs> <laughs> I think what, what would what's worse having that quote come out or picking up a DUI a week before the draft? Uh, I I don't know honestly yeah. I don't know what would tank your stock more. Yeah, equally damaging. Uh, scouts are concerned about who he's surrounding himself with. Um, so let's let's dive into a few news items before we get into our, our main topic today, which will basically be just kind of a an offseason preview, more or less, for the 14 teams that, uh, for some of these teams, we haven't seen since March. You know, So we'll go through all the teams that did not make the playoffs and just kind of do a, a reset and uh, survey the landscape for each of those. But uh, let's start with the Pacers, who very quietly hired a new coach, uh, on Tuesday, Nate Bjorgren, I believe I'm pronouncing that correctly. Um, never heard of this guy at all. Not a lot of people have. We were talking off air. You're like normally, you know, we're not we're not the most clued into assistant coaching circles by any means. But usually, you kind of know. You know, there's a, a group of like five to ten assistants whose names you hear jump around for two or three years, and you know, eventually those guys work their way up. Much like you know Nick Nurse, um, you know, for whom Bjorgren has worked in the past. He was an assistant. For Nick Nurse, uh, when Nick Nurse coached in the G League, uh, assistant for Toronto as well. So, you know, as we're as we're seeing, uh, you know, this is a trend usually for whatever team is having success. You know, you often just see those assistants start to be picked off and you know everybody wants to be the new Toronto. Um, but what, what was your first reaction when you when you saw the Pacers go in a direction? I don't think a, a lot of people, at least publicly, uh, thought would be their pick. Yeah, I felt like this maybe signaled a rebuild or like acknowledgement that kind of Oladipo wants to leave and they may need to change a team because you're going from Nate McMillan, who I know he had a bad playoff record, which the Pacers very blatantly included in their press release saying that he was no longer the coach of the team. Um, 
you go from that to hiring someone who's unproven, um, relatively unknown. And I just think it kind of signals like they're ready to to do something different. And that would be surprising if both Oladipo and Miles Turner were back. And, you know, Pacers aren't really a team to full-scale rebuild, but they're a little bit backed into a corner right now. Yeah, I, I, I mean, I've cooled off a little bit on the Miles Turner rumors. I, I think it's seeming like more and more likely that maybe Oladipo moves on. But the bottom line is, if you're trying to win the NBA title in 2021, you probably don't hire Nate Bjorgren. You, you probably go, you either keep Nate McMillan or you go with someone who uh, is more of a household name, somebody who maybe has relationships with players uh, on this team, somebody who's more of a veteran like this. Like you said, this, this kind of reeks of a, you know, kind of a, a rebuilding type of hire. And 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 as you alluded to, Indiana is one of those teams that doesn't always like to embrace a, a full rebuild or really can't afford to necessarily in that market. But I mean, it, again, if you're if you're a veteran like Oladipo and you know, you're kind of in your prime or maybe, you know, doing part to injuries kind of nearing the end of that prime. I don't think a hiring like this, you know, really galvanizes you to to want to stay in Indiana, you know? No, it doesn't. It doesn't. And they I mean, they still have I'm sure they'll still be competitive, even if they trade Oladipo. I mean, they still have Malcolm Brogdon. Um, Turner is kind of up in the air at this point, but they've locked Sabonis in, who's kind of a floor raiser as a player. TJ Warren looked good in the bubble. Um, You know, their bench is still awful, but maybe Aaron Holiday will come along more. They're still going to be interesting, I think. And if they trade Oladipo, they'll get something good back, presumably. So, I, I mean, I think this is... I don't know. I think they're just trying to do something new, which I, I can understand. Like, I don't know. I mean, also, how many people like would Ty Lue want to coach the Pacers? Like, what was the market like? You know? Right. No, that's a good point. That's a good point. I, I think there were just other assistants. You know, like Darvin Ham is, is one of the guys sure. that's been mentioned year after year. And I, I think that would have been less surprising. Um, I, I think there, there just wasn't a lot of knowledge that that Bjorgren was was really this close to getting a head coaching job. You made a good point about Oladipo, though, like. They're not in a position, and especially with Oladipo now arguably being like this past year, he was what, their like third or fourth best player, you know, coming back from the injury. And, and they were still, um, you know, the, the fourth seed uh, in the Eastern Conference. Trading Oladipo one, you know, you're, you're going to get some pieces back. Those could be young pieces. Those could be picks. Whatever they're going to be, they're going to help you, uh, whether it's this year or next year. And, and two, he's not the type of star that you get rid of and all of a sudden the entire team context changes and you have nothing left and you have no choice, but to rebuild, you still have Brogdon, you still have Turner. Like you said, you still have Warren. Um, I, I think in the Eastern conference, like even if they trade Oladipo and, and were to go for a more youth oriented package or picks oriented package, there, there's a case to be made that Indiana is still in that group of teams that you would pencil in as, as a likely playoff team, just because of those guys that we mentioned, like that, that three of Warren Brogdon, and Miles Turner, like none of those guys are, are likely all stars, but they're better than the top three, you know, on the Magic or or the Hornets or you know, potentially even the Wizards, you know, depending on how those players shake out. So I, I do feel like Indiana still has a relatively high floor. Yeah. And they weren't I mean, he was not, you know, 100 percent healthy when he played, but they were only 11 and eight when he played and they were 45 and 28 overall. So obviously they played at a better rate when he wasn't on the court. So even if he's if he's just not there at all next season, there's no reason to think that they couldn't still be like the fifth seed in the East. Right. Support for this podcast comes from U.S. Bank. When you're looking for a credit card, get one that wins awards. The U.S. Bank Visa Platinum Card is NerdWallet's 2021 Best of Awards winner for Best 0% Intro APR and Balance Transfer Credit Card. 
It provides a great way to pay for large purchases over time, as well as consolidating other card balances. And speaking of award winners, the U.S. Bank Altitude Go Visa Signature Card is NerdWallet's 2021 Best Credit Card for Dining Out or Ordering In. Earn four times points on takeout, food delivery, and dining. Get two times points at gas stations, grocery stores, and on streaming. If you're into cash back or travel rewards, U.S. Bank has credit cards that feature those benefits, too. Check out their full suite of credit cards at usbank.com slash credit card. The creditor and issuer of these cards is U.S. Bank National Association, pursuant to a license from VCUSA, Inc., and the cards are available to United States residents only. Some restrictions may apply. Member FDIC. All right, looking at the Western Conference, uh, two teams that, that came up short in the Western Conference playoffs, both in round two. Uh, we'll start with the Rockets, who Tillman Fertitta apparently goes on CNBC once a week to just talk about whatever. And this week he talked about the Rockets and fairly emphatically said that they're not going to blow things up. Uh, said basically what you would expect. I mean, I wouldn't read too far into this, but, um, you know, he said he likes the the Harden Westbrook core. They're, they're not going to, you know, aggressively attempt to move off of that. I don't know how much I believe that. I, I think, you know, this is clearly an owner who has interest in, I don't know if I'd say meddling, but having influence in, in how the team makes roster decisions. I understand kind of wanting to see it through, you know, Russell Westbrook was injured in the playoffs, you know, missed half of that first round series against OKC. I ultimately don't think that's what precluded the Rockets from winning the NBA title by any means. I I don't think they're all that close to winning the title. Uh, But at the same time, I I also don't feel like they're, they're in that situation where you're backed into a corner and you you look at that roster and say, man, they have to move one of those guys. Um, I, I don't have a huge issue, I guess, if they at least want to go into next season and try it again. Maybe at the deadline you reassess, maybe next offseason you reassess. But I don't think it's absolutely insane to keep this roster together and try to make improvements on the margins. I agree. I mean, that's why they hire a new coach, right? That's the right. first thing you do before you potentially shake up a roster that you are just unsatisfied with. And I don't uh, a lot of general managers would go on TV and say the same thing about their team. If even if they were planning to blow it up behind right. the scenes, it's just GM speak so, or owner speak, I should say. Yeah. Um, right. If, if, if the owner goes on CNBC and says, yeah, well, I, I think we'll probably blow it up. Like you really just can't do that. You really yeah, he, can't. Yeah. He's not going to go be like Westbrook for Kevin Love. Who says no? Yeah. Right. Um, <laughs> I don't even know if he can legally say that. I don't, think, I don't think he can, but I'm sure they wouldn't be able to find him enough for it to matter. Right. Um, yeah, it, I agree. We'll see what happens with the new coach. Uh, if they, you know, if they're the, if they're the fourth seed again, that's probably fine for them. You know, they'll still, they're still going to be a fringe title contender, no matter how down people are on them this season. They're still going to be a fringe title contender. Yeah, kind of right where they've been for the last five or six years at this point. Um, Stephen A. Smith, who I, I love, like Stephen A. chooses two or three times per year to break news. He'll, he'll go months at a time without breaking any news. Yeah. And then just kind of drop these like Stephen A. bombs out of nowhere. Uh, and he's he's the one who's credited with reporting that uh, Kawhi Leonard, quote, has privately clamored for the Clippers to upgrade their point guard position, uh, a.k.a. probably move on from Patrick Beverly, who... You know, I, I always thought, like, to me, as, as someone who, you know, was was kind of rooting for the Lakers this past year, it's like, I, I was not rooting for Patrick Beverly, but he's one of those guys who, when you're when he's playing against the team you're rooting for, you're just like, I absolutely hate this guy, but, you know, kind of in the Marcus Smart category, but you'd also want him on your team. You know, like, I, I would have loved for him to be the Lakers point guard and, and have that kind of dog uh, on your roster. So, I, I mean, you know, it's not like Kawhi came out and said, I don't want to play with Patrick Beverly, but... There's kind of more and more evidence. There was a story in The Athletic last week. There was another story at the end of the season 
right after they lost to Denver, where it, it kind of seems like there's this divide between Kawhi being on an island, being his own guy, uh, Paul George kind of being the other superstar, and then the old Clippers guard of you know Lou Williams, Pat Beverly, Montrezl Harrell, guys who were there for those last couple of seasons when they were a little bit more of a, a scrappy type of team uh, and feeling like everything kind of changed around them. I don't know. I mean, I, I'm just surprised. I, I, to me, Patrick Beverly seems like the type of point guard you would want to play with, you know, especially if you're a guy like Kawhi, who's, who's so good defensively, you know, the effort that he brings on that end specifically, uh, it, it's just a little bit surprising. Um, but at the same time, when Kawhi Leonard says something like this, I, I think it in a lot of ways compels the Clippers to, uh, to at least survey the market. I think so. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's strange because you figure, I, I know they don't have like a traditional point guard who's going to handle the ball, but I thought Kawhi wanted the ball in his hands. And then if right. not, there's Paul George and there's also Lou Williams is still on the team. So I'm not really sure. Why. Also, their offense was still ahead of their defense this season. They were a better offensive team. Mm-hmm. So I don't know if he just wants to completely go all in on offense. And I mean, yeah, this could be something like you were saying, where there are signals that there's kind of the old Clippers and the new Clippers and they're trying to kind of box out the the old guys and send them somewhere else because Harold could easily be gone this season in free agency. It wouldn't surprise me if they tried to dump Lou Williams and then Patrick Beverly could easily, you know, you could try to trade him for whoever else. Mm-hmm. Um, so if they look completely different next season, again, that wouldn't be surprising because they they fired Doc Rivers and, you know, Steve right. Ballmer has been extremely aggressive since he since he bought the team. This Kawhi quote reminds me of things that LeBron has said over and over throughout his career. Everywhere he goes, it's we need more playmaking. You know, like I, I don't want to be, have to do everything. And then what happens, whether there's playmaking or not, LeBron brings the ball up the court every single time. He literally played point guard all season on a team that had Rajon Rondo. You know, so I, I think it's yeah, in theory, it it sounds great to say I would like to take some plays off, but then when you're actually in the game, it's a lot harder to actually do. Um, but Beverly makes you know, he makes north of 13 million next year and that escalates up to 14.3 million in 21-22. Not that that's not tradable, but I think he is a player that when you start to look at the numbers, like his reputation as a defender far exceeds the type of production that he's given you. And he's also been banged up these last couple of years. He's getting up there in age. Like I, I don't think that that's, there, there, there will be teams that want Patrick Beverly, but I don't think that's like the most appealing contract to take on. Whereas Lou Williams goes into next year as an $8 million expiring. Right. And I think, I think I always viewed Lou Williams as like way older than Patrick Beverly, but Patrick Beverly's only a year younger. Like he's 32 yeah. and he's a very specific type of player where he's, again, he's a floor raiser. You can't put him on like Charlotte and you can't put him on, you know, San Antonio or something like I, it just, it has, he has to go to a team that already has like established good offensive players who mm-hmm. just need some sort of bolster to their defense. And there's not that many teams that would fit that mold necessarily. Yeah, the Clippers, like most teams, um, you know, in an uncertain cap environment, are going to be, you know, their improvements are mostly going to come around the margins. Um, I would be pretty surprised if they bring Harrell back, although it kind of remains to be seen how much money he lost himself in the bubble. It, it could be like a lot, you know. I mean, it's now to the point where, like, who's who's going to get more money annually after this year, like Montrez Harrell or Jeremy Grant? It's not crazy uh... to think Grant, right? I don't know. I don't know either. I think people still believe in that. I don't know for like a smaller market, being able to have Montrez Harrell just put up like 19 and eight for you. Someone will pay for that, right? Look like at someone you, just wants distance. that. Oh yeah, someone Look will gladly. Cavaliers. Someone will gladly take that. Yeah, 
No, I mean, people always do. <laughs> Teams, there's a reason Nick Batum is making $27 million or whatever it is this year. Um, I just, I mean, I don't think it would be a smart move for the Clippers at all. And I don't think it'll be a smart move for whoever does pick him up. But, uh, I mean, if you're here, you also have to just take the payday. You know, this, this being oh, yeah. exact, like first real, uh, you know, kind of big time NBA contract. Uh, let's look at, we're going we're gonna to start at the absolute bottom. Uh, so I have our teams, our non-playoff teams sorted from fewest to most wins uh and it still feels weird to say this but that brings us to the golden state warriors who won four fewer games than both the cavaliers and the timberwolves this past season that was a 15 and 50 record for the golden state warriors who hold the number two pick in next month's draft there's i mean this is by far the most intriguing team i think on this list just because they're the the major outlier uh in that they're the one team that won 15 games this year and will also be trying to win the title next year and has a realistic chance to do so. Um, let's start, I guess, with, with Curry and Clay coming back. And I, I feel like you and I are aligned on Thompson in, in that the way he plays, uh, his age, every, everything involved there. Like, I, I think we expect him to come back and pretty much look like himself. There's not a lot of concern there. Uh, there's some videos of him earlier this week playing in pickup games. He looked fine, moving well. At, at this point, though, you know, how realistic is it that Stephen Curry comes back and gives us the type of season that I think a lot of people thought we would see last year before he got hurt, where, you know, we're talking, we, you and I were talking, like, could he average 35 a game? We, you know, he's continued to improve while Kevin Durant was in Golden State, but never really got a chance to to show it long term just because of, of Durant's presence. Um, you know, the last time we saw it without Durant, he averaged 30 a game, led the league in scoring. Uh, and then obviously he got hurt early and, and we never got to see that. But I mean, Curry is is 32. He turns 33 in March. Uh, I, I think he was what six to one to to win the MVP. I, I'm not saying I hate it. I, I I would never bet against Steph Curry, but you know, even the season before he missed 13 games. Season before that, he missed 31 games. Uh, you know, the injuries have kind of always been a narrative for him, even though he was able to shake it in the middle of his career. But uh, I mean, how realistic to you is it that Steph Curry comes back and is right in the middle of the MVP conversation right away? I mean, I think it's I think it's still possible. Um, you know, I mean, he's had a, I mean, by the time the season comes around again, he'll have had a lot of time off, and um, I think he'll I mean, I think he'll be fresh. And they still the Warriors still do not have a bench. Their bench is awful. He's going to need to play a lot of minutes if they want to win. Uh, you know, if they want to stay competitive in the West, I don't I don't think they have any issue staying competitive in the West. But their their bench is still really bad. And I again, I think he'll be fresh. So. I don't know. Maybe not MVP. It's interesting if you get the right number, right? If it's like eight to one or something like that, because you never know. He could average 30 a game again. Because, uh, it's. I mean, it's been a long time since we have seen like the fully kind of like unlocked Steph Curry where they just let him do his thing and they like need him on offense because it's been so long since we've seen him without Durant. So I'm still interested in that. And I think he's still I'm really not that worried. I mean, we haven't seen him play with even Clay Thompson next to him since June of 2019. Like it, it has been a very long time uh, since we've seen Steph Curry play in a competitive basketball game that that matters. I mean, it was even even before he got hurt, it was clear in like the first three games of the year that that was not going to go well without Durant, without uh, Clay Thompson. I, I I mean, I don't know if the Warriors make the playoffs even if Steph stays healthy last year. Um, but you know. When he, when he turns 33, basically a month into when we think this season is going to start, I think there are some concerns, but I am with you. I mean, I think for me, that number would have to get a little bit higher for MVP just because I think the field is is super deep. 
Um, but at the same time, you know, this is a guy who's, who's won back-to-back MVPs and is certainly capable of it. What, if you're the Warriors, what is your mindset with the draft now less than a month away? Are you content to make that number two pick if you have to? And, you know, the, the, what we continue to hear from the Warriors is basically they want, they want peak value. They're not going to settle for, all right, we'll, we'll send number two to Sacramento for, you know, like, I don't know, Harrison Barnes and, and a couple other, you know, decent pieces. I, I think I've heard people throw like Rashawn Holmes out there. Like they want, they want to turn number two and Wiggins into a legitimate superstar and kind of get right back to where they were when they had Durant. One, how realistic is that? And and two, if you're the Warriors, would you be willing to settle? If you were in charge of the Warriors, would you be willing to settle for filling out this roster, which even though you have healthy Steph, healthy Clay, healthy Draymond, the bench is not nearly what it was during those championship runs. It's not. I, mean, I think making the pick is okay because that per, that player will play. and You have to have confidence in that pick because they are going to be on the court because they will need to be. Um I don't know how realistic it is to trade number two in Wiggins for someone. Um, I don't know who exactly is available for that. Like, I don't know if Beal makes sense for that. that. Yeah. Um, It's a tough, it's a tough deal because people, I think almost everyone's out on Wiggins. Um, I'm sure there are still some teams that would be interested in giving him a shot, but I don't know. I mean, I've heard the, I've heard the, you know, option of trying to get Blake Griffin thrown out there. Um, and maybe Detroit would take number two and, and Wiggins. But again, I just, I don't know if Golden State wants to take on the contract at the injury risk. So it wouldn't surprise me if they just ended up making the pick and just playing whoever they take. If I was Detroit, I would take that deal in a heartbeat. And I, I love Blake, you and I love Blake. Um, but I mean, even if he stays healthy for 82 games the next two or three years, however long he's under contract, does it mean anything? You know, do you even make the playoffs in, in both of those years? I, I don't I don't know if you do. So I, I don't know. I mean, if I'm Golden State, that's just way too risky. You know, like I would rather, you know, Buddy Heald is, is a worse player than Blake Griffin. But if I would rather like get a centerpiece deal with Buddy Heald and some other decent pieces than Blake Griffin and just, you know, crossing my fingers that he stays healthy. I, that, to me, that's just way too risky for a team that has so much good in place already. I agree. Yeah, I, th- I think that I think that makes sense. And they we also don't really know what they're going to do with their roster necessarily. Like, do they want a traditional center at all? Are they going to go completely small ball? Like, is Draymond going to is is he 100 percent a center? Are they going to try to get a stretch big um, is, you know, like if they keep Wiggins, what could they do there? So I don't know. They're they're a really interesting roster. I think they're they're mm-hmm. in good shape no matter what they do, because they have right. all the talent in the world. Right. But um It'll, they're they're just a really fascinating team, and this is a it very this could be a turning point off season for them, no matter what they do. I would say the only thing that worries me about their future is Draymond, because yeah. I, I mean, much like Steph, we didn't really get a, a great evaluation of Draymond this year, but yeah, you know, I, I think he kind of got a pass from just about everybody because of who was around him. But this was not a great year for Draymond, and the year before it was also not a great year, and it's it's been a pretty steep decline, especially offensively since that peak 2015, 16, 73 win season. And, you know, if he's not all world level defender and is now like a 30% three point shooter who at times doesn't even want to take him, like that's a pretty big hit, uh, especially when Andrew Wiggins is, is something of a non-shooter. And if, if you're, you're going to have to have at least one true center on the roster it, who you're comfortable playing 
maybe sometimes 15 to 20 minutes when you're playing the Lakers or the Clippers or the Nuggets. Like, I don't, I don't think it's fair to ask Draymond to defend Anthony Davis for 40 minutes or defend Nikola Jokic for 40 minutes. Like, they have to add somebody. And like you said, I, I don't know who that guy is. I mean, I think chances are, I mean, it could be Dwight. It, it, they could go back to a JaVale McGee type, you know, maybe Tristan Thompson, somebody like that. Um, and somebody threw out, like, Andre Drummond for, you know, for number two in the Wiggins pick. And, you know, maybe if you're Cleveland, you'd have to send something back. I, I don't necessarily hate that idea. I mean, if, if, if Drummond can't succeed with the Warriors, I, I think at that point, it's just clear that it's, it's not going to happen anywhere. Yeah, I mean, I also think Kevin Love would be interesting for the Warriors. Yeah. Um, it's kind of like a four or five. Um, I think he makes sense in their offense, right? He can shoot the three. He's a great passer. He hasn't really been utilized as a passer over the past few years. I think that's some kind of become an underrated aspect of his game. Yeah. So I, w- I would be interested in Love or Drummond or honestly both. I'm not sure exactly how that would work with those three guys, but if you can get those three guys and then figure it out later, mm-hmm. you know, I don't think that's a that's a bad move. Because I mean, what the, I mean, the Cavaliers they would take anyone, right? They would probably take Wiggins. They would take the number two, and they probably take they would like happily Kai, take number two. Yeah, and like Kai Bowman or whoever else is available. Yeah, um, yeah. I mean, I think Eric Pascal will probably have some interest from teams like that. Certainly, teams like Cleveland that are just trying to throw as many darts as they can at this point. Um, but speaking of the Cavs, let's move on to them. We you know, we don't have to get too far into like love and drumming deals because you just kind of hit on it. Um, but this roster is just not good. It's not good. And I think in some ways they, they might have overachieved last season, which is not you know <laughs> saying a lot for a team that won 19 games. I mean, this was this was a bad, bad roster. And for the second time since LeBron left, they've just they've kind of been left high and dry. And it, it wasn't necessarily their fault either time because of how they were forced to rebuild the team. But Unlike the last time LeBron left, you know, they immediately hit the lottery on Kyrie Irving. This That has not happened. Colin Sexton is not Kyrie Irving. Darius Garland, maybe even further from Kyrie Irving. Like, is there a single player on this roster who you would say, like, I for sure think this guy will be on the team in, in even, like, four years? Um, I think Sexton, I think they like Sexton and will probably try to keep him. He had a good year this year. 47% from the field, 38% from three, 21 points a game. He's not really a point guard still. You know, there's a there's the chance he ends up being the, the Wiggins of point guards, right? Um, but, yeah, there's no one on this team who I think is uh, someone that you lock your future into. I mean, I've heard, you know, Kevin Porter had some moments. But, again, that's like he played only 50 games, 20 minutes a game. Like, we didn't see that much from him. I mean, at least I think this roster is still at least interesting from – they have assets to trade now, at least, right? Kevin, every year that Kevin Love's deal gets closer to expiring, the more offers there'll be for him. Tristan Thompson, um, is he a free agent? I believe so, yes. Okay, that's tough for them because they probably could have traded him, right? You would think. Last let me season? let me double check on that, but I, I believe, yes, I, I think I think teams were hoping that he was going to get bought out, right? So yeah, he yeah. is a free agent, and yeah, they opted not to buy him out. Um, I think I think both the Lakers and the Clippers would have been in on him. He's a guy too that'll be interesting. I mean, he already has a title, so I wouldn't I wouldn't label him like a ring chaser necessarily. But I mean, he's almost 30. I, I don't think it would be crazy for him to you know to maybe take a little bit less money and whether that means not returning to Cleveland or not going to another bad team, um, you know maybe look to to get to a contender. I, I am with you on Sexton to some degree. The numbers are good. You know, like you said, 47% from the field, 38 from three, 85 at the line. Um, for most second year guards, that's pretty good. And you'd be pretty excited about it. But 
for whatever reason with him, there's just this general belief. And, you know, I didn't watch a ton of Cavs basketball last year, but like, you know, if, if somebody's averaging 20 and with those shooting, you know, with that, that kind of shooting efficiency in year two, you should be more excited. And it kind of scares me that nobody seems to be all that optimistic. Like I, I do get, I, I, and I don't use this term lightly. I get some Brandon Knight vibes oh, from Colin okay. Sexton. Some early, like when Brandon Knight came to the Bucks and had that year where it's like, is he maybe an all-star? I, the numbers are good, but and then you see three assists, three rebounds. Like he, the defense that was so great at the high school and the college level just hasn't really translated all that much. Like, I don't know. I'm not, I'm not asking you for like a full diagnosis on Colin Sexton, but something is up that people, you know, especially Cavs people just don't seem all that excited about this guy. It is a little strange. Right. Yeah. I actually, I like the Brandon Knight comp. I think they're, pro, they're, they're definitely similar players. Um, yeah. It's just, I don't know. It's, it's tough. Cause he, someone's got a score on this team. He's again, he's not, a, he's not a real passer. Brandon Knight wasn't a real passer either. Um, yeah. Yeah. It is weird that nobody's excited about him. And I guess like there's, it's the wrong, like if this was the if this was the rebuilding Lakers and Colin Sexton was scoring 21 points a game, people would be buying jerseys. I mean, he would be way more hyped than Kuzma ever has been. Um, yeah. So maybe it's a product of the market, but um, so it's something worth monitoring, I would say. All right, the Minnesota Timberwolves. Uh, I'm, I'm going to throw some Carl Towns numbers at you. And okay. I think they are a team that, I wouldn't say got a pass, but they got something of a pass because Towns missed so much time. But... Before Towns initially got hurt, they lost 11 uh, of the last 14 games. Then when Towns came back, they lost 10 in a row and 11 out of 12. So he was 4-22 and 22 in the final 26 games that he played last season. You and I both like Towns. This is the first time he's ever really been injured. Uh, I don't think it's going to become a pattern. Um, I, just, I just don't know that they've done anything to remedy the issues that have really always been there since Towns has been the centerpiece adding D'Angelo Russell is, is all well and good to to keep a superstar health, uh, happy, I guess. Um, but at the same time, that that superstar is kind of at the root of some of the major issues for this team. And I think they'll be fun to watch. You know, like that those two, Malik Beasley, uh, you know, Jared Culver maybe gets better in year two. They'll, they'll add another lottery pick. They'll be a fun team. But I just I really don't think this team has like any chance to to make the playoffs next year. It's going to be really tough for them. You you start comparing them to even like Phoenix and you're like, Phoenix is definitely better than them. Right. Um, so it's, it's, it's rough. Do you want to guess how many players they end up at different players? The Wolves started last season. Started. Man. Started. Uh, how many different players started for the Timberwolves? I don't even know. Let's see. I will guess 16. 18 different players started for the Wolves last season. One of them was Noah Vonley. So Oh my God. Yeah. Uh, so, wow. So they had 24 players appear in a game for them last year. Yep. My Lord. Yeah. I mean, I, I'm not like out on D'Angelo Russell. I think he's good. I just don't know. He's not really doing anything on defense. Again, he's not a fantastic distributor. Mm-hmm. I think, I think the idea that you can just run like their version of like a Jokic Murray pick and pop pick and roll thing. I think that's probably what they want to do. And it's probably yeah. their only option because there's no one else on the team that can really do anything. Uh, so I'm intrigued by them and I'm sure they'll put up insane numbers. Like they may be another one of those teams. That's just every night, you know, the over under for their games is like two thirty, 
because they just they just fire up shots early into possessions and they give up a ton of points. So I think they'll be an exciting team, but I don't really have faith in them being good. Yeah, I think that's a good way to put it. Uh, and and I love the the Towns Jokic Russell Murray <laughs> comparison. I, I actually really think that is accurate. I, I okay. think that's I think they saw Denver do that and they're like, oh, we could totally do that. That's no big deal. That'll be easy. Uh, I'm looking at their their schedule from last year. They had I'm trying to count it up here. 13 games in which they allowed at least 130 points. 139 three times. They allowed 142 in regulation to the Lakers, who were not exactly like throwing points up left and right. Um, I, just, I just don't think the defense is going to be any better this year. I don't think they did anything to address that. I think sometimes when you have the opportunity to turn Andrew Wiggins into D'Angelo Russell, you just do it because that's the move. But I think like that's a move that like smart teams just probably don't make, you know, they say it's, it's lateral at best. And that's, just, it's just on paper. It's just such a bad pairing with towns, but we'll see. We'll see how it plays out. The Atlanta Hawks. I think this year is certainly not like a make it or break it year for Trey young by any means, but I think it's at least going to tell us more about what you need to do to win games with him on your team. You know, we, we talked last week about, you know, if you're averaging 30, nine assists, four rebounds, one steal, uh, you know, shooting 36% from three on, on very difficult looks, you know, 44% from the field in year two, uh, you know, a guy who's six, one and weighs like 175, like that's pretty damn good. And that resulted in a, a pretty terrible season as was the case his rookie year. If they go like 25 and 57 this year, I just, I don't know what the answer is at that point, because this roster is not that bad, right? I mean, it's, it's at least capable to the point where they should contend for the eighth seed on paper. When you have a 30 point per game score, you have Clint Capella, you have John Collins, you know, I, I don't know that it's like all that far off from, you know, we talked about Phoenix in the West, like man to man, like the, the, the Suns roster is better, but it's like Atlanta's isn't like that far of a cry, uh, especially at the top. And I, I don't know. It, it's hard for me, I guess, to see them making a major leap because I, I just don't know where, where Trey young goes defensively. He really doesn't have, it's just kind of impossible for him to improve. And, and offensively, at least statistically, it, there's not a whole lot of room for him to grow, which seems crazy considering he's going into year three. But it's not like he's going to come out and average 36 points and 13 assists all of a sudden next year. Right. I think trading for Capella was a win now move. And yeah. so they're going to they have to have expectations to be a winning team next season. They have to feel very similar to how Chicago feels. I'm sure they're just in that tier where they really want to be able to get the seventh or the eighth seed in the East. And they probably feel like they're, they might be, they probably feel like they're the most talented team that didn't make the playoffs last season. Right. Yeah. I, I think in the East for sure. Yeah. It's between them and Chicago in my opinion. So, yeah. and uh, I would probably give the nod to Atlanta, but it, so for them, yeah, it's, it's tough. If they're not a winning team, that's going to probably say something about Trey Young. Um, I would say, or at least that's, I mean, it's, it's tough to say he's like not a winning player if he's putting up those numbers. Right. Um, cause we've seen players before who play virtually no defense, be able to, you know, carry teams a really long way. So, um, they, I mean, they have cap room, right? I think we talked about that last podcast where they might be able to still make a move for somebody and bolster their roster somehow. Right. So we should look out for them during the off season to maybe try to get one more guy and really just go for it yeah and I, I think they're they're one of those dark horse teams for next year 
2022, you know, appealing city, appealing young players. Uh, I think all it might take for them is to just maybe not even make the playoffs, but like just prove that they're close, somewhat close to attract whatever free agent might want to come play there. Because I think right now they're just a little too far away uh, to, to realistically expect a player to ever like push their way to Atlanta. You know, that, that's just not really in the cards. Right. Uh, the Detroit Pistons. I don't have a whole lot here. Uh, what, what do you have to say about the Pistons? Not much, except that I think they're the, uh, other than having Blake Griffin, they're the blankest slate in the league, right? Uh, Salary-wise, yeah. They're they're right up there. Yeah. So they're, I think they're interesting from that perspective where they can do anything, like from a roster perspective. They could try to do something crazy. They could go and do, I mean, they could go, they're the, they're the team that, is the biggest candidate for a complete tank, like a legitimate process 2.0, because they have their roster is completely barren. They have no clear, again, other than Blake, their best player might be uh, Christian Wood or Luke Kennard. Uh, if I'm looking at this roster correctly. If if Christian Wood even is on the team next year, yeah. Yeah. So, uh, <laughs> yeah. They're in a, oh, I guess Derrick Rose. I always forget about Derrick Rose, but they they should trade him. There's no reason for him to be on this team anymore. Yeah, so I think that's happening. Um, I don't really have a ton to say about them except that they should they should just look to do the process and get kind of yeah. That's that's like a certainly option. I, I think they should be the team that is looking to you know maybe not go full process, but take on you know money here and there. That's not going to hurt you long term. You know somebody somebody needs to free up space to make a signing. You're the team that takes, you know, player X who's making six million dollars or whatever. Just just absorb them and pick up a, a protected first or whatever it might take. Like uh, they need to be in asset stockpiling mode. Yeah, because unlike a lot of these bad teams, you know, they they don't really have much other than their own picks. And, you know, like you said, their only their only real salary on the books after this coming year is Blake Griffin's thirty nine million dollar player option for twenty one, twenty two. And if you can find a way to move that, it's a completely blank slate. The contrast to that, though, is you're located in Detroit, Michigan, and you're not clear in the books for Devin Booker, Carl Towns, and D'Angelo Russell to all come sign, you know, sign with you in no, Detroit. Yeah. Like, it's all well and good to have that cap space. I, I wouldn't want to spend it on Blake Griffin, but I, I, you know, I don't know. Oftentimes, for franchises like this, it just leads to you feeling like you have to spend money on pieces that you probably are paying too much for. Yeah, which is why I think they should just do, like you said, and just take on money that nobody else wants. And this is actually maybe one of the best times in NBA history to do that, right? Because yeah. of the the we don't know what's going to happen with the salary exactly. next season. Who even knows? Um, there, there are just there are very few teams who are in the position to be able to do that. Right, and they are, and if, especially if they can get rid of Blake Griffin and you know return salary that isn't that much. Yeah, they're they're in a really good spot to just kind of take advantage of that and i think they if they don't if they don't start doing that then they are missing an insane opportunity like yeah so all right the new york knicks uh speaking of teams with flexibility I, for as much as we make fun of the knicks and everybody in the world makes fun of the knicks they're well positioned for 2021 and beyond you know all those contracts you know they basically signed an entirely new team last year and gave like everyone a one plus one or a two plus one so you know, you still have Randall, Portis, Gibson, Ellington, Peyton, Barrett, Joe Kim Noah is still on the books this year. Nilakina, Smith, Knox, Bullock, all those guys, Mitchell Robinson are all on guaranteed contracts, um, except for Bobby Portis, who does have a team option. All those guys are on the books this year, but much like Detroit, 
their only commitment right now beyond um, beyond next season is Julius Randle at 19.8 million. I think there's a pretty good chance that you know be- before the start of the season that money is thrown into a deal and, and he's out of there. So even though we, we've seen the Knicks do this like five times over the last couple of decades, you know everything is culminating towards some big free agency class and it, and it never actually works out. I don't know. I mean, at least they'll be in position for it. You know, there have been times in the past where they've they've so squandered their roster that when players have showed interest in coming there, it hasn't even been an option. So at least in New York, um, doing what the Pistons, you know, what we're advising the Pistons to do is a little more appealing because there there is that sliver of hope that someone will want to go play there. That's never really going to happen with Detroit. Um, so New York, I mean, I, I think this season for the Knicks is going to end up looking a lot like last season, even if they trade for Chris Paul. I have my doubts as to whether that's going to be enough to get them where they want to be just because the pieces around him are not great. Um, but I don't know. I, w- I would be looking to shed a, l- a lot of this money if I were them and, you know, looking ahead to next year and most importantly, playing Mitchell Robinson more than 18 minutes a game. Ideally close to 40 minutes a game. The, I don't see why the, not. The most confounding part of all of this is Tom Thibodeau's their coach now. That is true. And I don't know why they would do that. Other than like, yeah. again, it seems like they're trying to gear up to sign someone. You know, I hear they're interested in Giannis uh, and Tom Thibodeau is clearly the guy. I just like, again, like we saw, you know, I, I think there's a, a hesitancy for these big market teams, L.A., Boston, Chicago, New York. They don't want to rebuild because they figure they can just get free agents and they just want to do everything as quick as possible. But the Lakers did that successfully, right? They rebuilt successfully. Um, the Clippers, what they have now, they got partially because they got Shea Gilgis Alexander and, you know, Montrez Harrell, and they rebuilt pretty successfully. Boston kind of did it. I mean, they, they had an insanely quick rebuild, but look where they are now. Mm-hmm. And the more New York, they just refuse to rebuild, the more they just keep digging themselves into this insane hole that they're never going to get out of. And no one respects them as an organization. And it just keeps going and going. And, um, they just have to they just have to fully commit and they just but they aren't because they hired Tom Thibodeau. And mm-hmm. so I don't I don't I have no idea what's going on. Losing the uh, Williamson Morant lottery and then losing Durant and Kyrie within the span of a couple months, I think, was a new low for the Knicks. Oh, yeah. There's been that some was... other lows, some, some notable lows. But this was that double whammy is as bad as it's gotten. That almost put the nail in the coffin, I I feel like, from like a news cycle perspective about the Knicks. Like, yeah. I just don't, over the next two or three years, I just feel like are, they're not, like, there's there's only so much Knicks news cycle that I think can exist. And they've been in the news cycle even when they are relevant. But, like, that was just, it's it's so bad now. And it's so bleak that it feels like you, it feels like it's not even worth our time talking about them. <laughs> like, it's... <sighs> And at the end of the day, like, I don't know, where, where do you stand on the Knicks? Like, do you feel bad for the Knicks? Do you want them to be good? I want them to be good. I, I think I, it would be really fun if they were good. I would love for them to be good. I think I think it would be awesome because anytime like there really is when when good games happen in Madison Square Garden, it actually is awesome. Yes. So I want them to be good. There's just... no other team in the NBA that has that. Like when the Lakers were bad those games felt like the team was bad. The, yeah. Like when the Knicks make their like two national appearances on TV for the year, it doesn't matter who, who they're playing. They're probably going to get killed. It feels like a big game because the crowd is in it. Like it's a big game. No other stadium matches that. Yeah. And also the crowd like really still likes to see the other players do well. Sure. And the other, other teams players love to play there. Right. So <laughs> I 
right now they're getting all the benefit of playing there a few times a year without actually having to deal with the organization right. itself. All right, the Chicago Bulls. Is there a chance that Chicago can position itself to be a team that ends up being in play for big free agents next year? I, I feel like we keep hearing about Dallas, Miami, the Warriors as these teams that'll that'll be there for Giannis and whoever else, you know, Kawhi, LeBron could be a free agent. Um, we'll see how many of those guys actually make it to market, but I, I don't I don't necessarily see why Chicago couldn't be involved. One for the city, you know, the history of that franchise, and two, much like I said with Atlanta, like if they have a year this year where they outperform even the most optimistic expectations and all of a sudden they're like the sixth seed in the Eastern Conference and Zach Levine looks like he's really good and might be, you know, the ideal number two, number three for a, for a great team. You know, you have these young players. Like, I think there's a, a pretty interesting combination of future flexibility. You know, they have they have Thaddeus Young and Sadoransky on the books for 2021, 22 for a combined 24. You could move those if you wanted. I, I think there's like just enough in place that if they play this next season correctly, I don't know that they'd be in play for Giannis necessarily, but I, I think they could they could be one of those teams that that is able to return to prominence a little more quickly through free agency. I think so too, but so much of it hinges on this next upcoming season. Yeah. Again, it's like so important for Billy Donovan to have a good year, for Levine to kind of I think prove he's a winning player. Wendell Carter and Laurie Markkinen need to stay healthy. That's been a concern for them. I like both of them. It's just they need to be on the court. Um, not sure what kind of developments Kobe White's going to make. Um, it feels like they'd be kind of in the market for like a, they would need like a forward or a center because if you have Levine and Kobe White in the backcourt, mm-hmm. you're not going to be able to really get a guard unless you want to move one of those guys. Um, but yeah, theoretically, I mean, they're a big enough market. They should be able to swing something. I know their ownership, like people haven't liked, you know, so that's, that's been a concern, but, um, yeah. They, well, I think it's almost been more than management, and they finally remedied that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah, that's what I meant. Um, yeah, because they could, again, they're a team I think could make the eighth or the seventh seat this year, depending on how, how things break. So when you're there with young players, then, yeah, why not? All right, well, we're we're running somewhat short on time, so we might have to save some of these for, for later this week or maybe next week on, on Dash Radio. But the Washington Wizards, nonetheless, what has to happen for Brad Beal to remain on this roster for the entire season? Legitimate playoff picture, right? I, I think so. I mean, either that or some sort of promise, you know, because it's not like he's expiring this year, you know, or even next year. It's like he, he's under a, a relatively long term deal. So his leverage, at least on paper, is is not like all that great. I mean, he's if he picks up his player option, his contract goes through 2023. So the Wizards are under no obligation to trade him. I, I guess my question is like, how dire is the situation? You know, like if they fall out of contention early on, do you think it would take him demanding a trade? You know, I don't, I don't think Washington goes out of its way to shop him necessarily. No, because John Wall is still on this roster for, again, same year, 23. And yep. he is going to be owed $47 million that year. And they're now they're now in a Blake Griffin situation. This is very close to a Blake Griffin Detroit Pistons situation, except that they actually still have Bradley Beal as their second best player instead of Derrick Rose or Luke Kennard or Christian Wood. Um, And so it's Bradley Beal still also only 27, I think. Um, He could be 28. He's either 20. Yeah, he's 27. Okay. So it feels like he's still kind of young, like. It'd be different if he was 29 and it was way easier to sell to the fan base. Like, listen, by the time we're good again, he's going to be 33. But they could still be good again in three or four years 
it'd probably take a miracle, but it could happen. And then he'd only be 30. Yeah. So I don't know. Well, we'll, don't know. we'll see how quickly Mo Wagner is able yeah. to develop. <laughs> I don't know. I think, and they're probably going to lose Bertans. So I don't know. It's it's really tough for them. Mm-hmm. I would I would try to trade Beal and Wall, but I can understand why they want to keep them as well because they can probably convince themselves they're <laughs> they're an AC team, even though I don't buy it. But yeah, my only note on the Wizards is I, I read something this past week uh, praising Rob Palinka and just kind of making the case that he he didn't get get enough credit. Everyone doubted him, and one of the points that they brought up in Palinka's favor is uh, how he drafted and developed Isaac Bonga. <laughs> who is now on the Wizards. <laughs> like, he was listed in like Palinka's success stories. Like I I don't know if he's quite reached that point yet, personally. Uh, all right, let's go to the Charlotte Hornets. I, I feel like this team is in prime position to make a terrible signing this offseason. Like, just when Bismack Bayambo comes off the books, just when Nick Batum can maybe be waived or traded in his final season, like they're going to re-up. They, they, they still have Batum and, and Zeller uh, on the roster this season as their bad contracts. Um, but the, the books are, are ready to take on like Fred Van Vliet for 90 million or Bogdanovich, or maybe they could be the Montrez Herald team. Maybe they could just, yeah, they could be the Pirtle Sarich team. Maybe they just mm-hmm. grab both of those guys. Yeah. 20 million a year. Yeah. <laughs> it's, <laughs> um, yeah, if they miss it, yeah, they're going to miss out on Harrell and they're going to be like, you know what? Jakob Pirtle is probably like a 15 million a year guy, 35 minutes a game. Like he, this is the only team that offered me more than five million a year. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, it's going to be shades of the Luol Deng Lakers contract. I, it seems like they're in a position to, yeah, make another bad signing, but they have a really good draft pick and they ideally do. they should just kind of stand pat and try to get rid of the expirings that are on their roster and uh, just keep, just keep rolling over these next few years mm-hmm. and just try to keep building on their young core, which isn't horrible. They have a right. passable young core, surprisingly. Um, a lot of that's propped up by Devonte Graham, yeah. but Bridges is still interesting. PJ Washington's interesting. Monk was good at the end of the year, so you had yeah, someone to that. He's back from the weed suspension. Yeah, that'll he's be big. Um, Charlotte, much like Detroit, to me, they've they've just kind of they've, it feels like they've missed barely on a lot of recent picks. You know, like if if Detroit just takes Donovan Mitchell instead of Luke Kennard. Complete the whole entire scope. Like we're, we, maybe we're not even talking about them as a non-playoff team, you know. And Charlotte's had some misses as well. They've missed on like virtually every pick that they've made uh, since they became the Hornets. And that's kind of what it comes down to. I, I don't want to oversimplify it, but like you said, I mean they're they're a team that holds a top four pick, um, and a, a team that could very well change its fortunes if they miss on that one, like they have with some other recent picks. The cycle continues. If they hit on it, all of a sudden we we view them completely differently. But considering the market that they're in, um, and much like Utah, you know, I, I just mentioned Mitchell, like they hit on Gobert late in the first round. You know, you hit on guys like that, your whole future changes. The Hornets aren't signing any any franchise changing players anytime soon. These are the type of opportunities as as a franchise that you have to capitalize on when you have a pick like this, when you jump up in the lottery and you already have a few promising players. Like if they nail this pick, their whole future outlook is is completely different. I'd forgotten that they traded the pick that was Shea Gilgis Alexander for oh, yeah. Miles Bridges in two seconds. Big, big trade. That is devastating. Is that, is that more egregious or less egregious than the Clippers having consecutive picks, taking SGA, uh, and then instead of Michael Porter, taking Jerome Robinson? Yeah, that's insane. I, I mean, there were a lot of teams that passed on Michael Porter. I thought once the Knicks didn't take him. That was that, the first one. 
Yeah. Yeah, I was like, what are you doing? I forget who who went before him, but I like there were like a number. Was, uh, there was basically a straight line where it was like, all right, after this, it now becomes accept- acceptable to take the risk on Michael Porter, and it was Knox or Porter, and they chose poorly, very very poorly. And then it became, I mean, like I remember I was I was at the draft, and I'm sitting there talking to people like, oh no, there's no chance he makes it past the Clippers. They literally have two consecutive picks. They're a good team already. You have two picks. One of these you can just waste. If he never plays a game, it's not a big deal. Like it's just, I don't know. It's it, and the Clippers get a pass because they are good, and nobody talks about it. Just like the Nuggets get a pass for trading the Jamal Murray pick, because they're also good. But man, the both of those. I mean, imagine Michael Porter on the Clippers or just having that asset. You know what? What else you could have added to that team? Yeah, I was pretty surprised when Orlando didn't take him at six. I think that was the first time I was actually like surprised that they took Bamba instead of Porter. Well, I was but, very pro Bamba. Yeah, that, was, that, that one is not looking great. A lot of people were. And did, did was the only reason Kevin Knox flew up the board was because he was sort of like Michael Porter, but just like younger with no injury history. Because I feel like he came out of nowhere, at least for me as someone who doesn't like grind the draft. So he was a late riser as a prospect, but he was he was a top 10 player in the country unanimously like when he got to Kentucky. OK, the, the issue was he was a great football player in high school and then he got too tall like he was a quarterback prospect and then all of a sudden he was like six nine okay and i think i don't even know if he played his senior year he basically had to stop playing because he was too tall so like there's this belief that oh he's he's been in that football mentality he's been training for football his whole life you know kind of like the typical like oh he's only been playing basketball since his junior oh, year like, okay but in reality he had been playing basketball he just hadn't been playing it very well for that long <laughs> um but yeah I, I i think that's the kevin knox story is I, that I feel bad. we've now bashed him at the beginning middle and end of the podcast is that going to be the that should be the new go to where it's like, well, he's playing out of position. He's actually a quarterback. <laughs> Try my quarterback. Try a different sport. Um, who do you have more faith? Well, we'll end it on this. We have like 30 seconds left. Who do you have more faith will be a good NBA player, Mo Bamba or Kevin Knox? Uh, Mo Bamba, I think. With such conviction. <laughs> <laughs> Mo Bamba has been like, I don't I don't know. He's at least like plays deep. He can play defense. Right. We at least we at least so. he's as good of a three point shooter as Kevin Knox and he can play defense. He runs very fast down the court. Bob yeah. Obama does. He just kind of sprints back basket to basket at this point. <laughs> uh, yeah. Sorry to put you on the spot like that. That's OK. That was, that, was, that was a tough position to put you in rough. right at the end. But all right. We're out of time. Uh, we'll save New Orleans, Sacramento, San Antonio, Phoenix and Memphis uh, for our next episode. And then we'll we'll do the same for the playoff teams as well. Thank you for listening to the Road Wire NBA show. We'll be back on Dash Radio next week. Whether you're a world-class athlete or a podcaster like me, we all understand the importance of mental and physical well-being and proper recovery for top-notch performance. That's why I'm excited that Unified Healing is sponsoring podcasts on the Blue Wire Network. Unified Healing is a new and super innovative global network of wellness centers powered by Energy Enhancement System, or EE System. If you haven't heard of the EE System yet, then you'll want to listen up. This technology promotes wellness, deep relaxation, purification, and rejuvenation. Wherever you are across the globe, access to a center is easy and affordable. Interested in experiencing the EE System technology for yourself? Go to unifiedhealing.com slash bluewire to learn more and find a center near you. That's unified, U-N-I-F-Y-D, healing.com slash bluewire. No material or testimonials on the Unified Healing website are intended to be viewed as medical advice or a substitute for professional medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. Always seek the advice of your physician or other qualified healthcare provider with any questions you may have regarding a medical condition or treatment and before undertaking a new healthcare regimen, including EE system.